Good evening and welcome to this WTTW News special, First Hand Homeless. I'm Paris Schatz. Homelessness is a widespread and complex issue in Chicago and other American cities with no quick answers or simple solutions. As part of our First Hand initiative, WTTW is spending a year focused on the challenging experiences and unique perspectives of unhoused people across Chicago's neighborhoods. You can see the First Hand documentaries and First Hand talks on our website at WTTW.com slash First Hand. And WTTW News will have continuing special coverage of the issue, including tonight's special program. And here's what we're looking at. Homelessness has risen to record levels in the United States. We talk with two local leaders who are on the front lines of the crisis. Housing is a human right. What's at stake as voters consider a plan to hike taxes on sales of million-dollar homes to help fight homelessness. How outreach workers are trying to help people who shelter on the CTA. Sleeping on a bus stop, we got to sleep with one eye open. And an effort by Cook County to provide longer-term apartment-style living. We kick things off right after this. Chicago Tonight is made possible in part by the Alexandra and John Nichols family, the Jin and Kay Mabee family, the Polk Brothers Foundation, and the support of these donors. For much of the past decade, homelessness in Chicago has been a persistent but largely hidden crisis. But a one-two punch, first the COVID-19 pandemic and then the arrival of more than 35,000 migrants from the southern border, shredded the city's social safety net and made it impossible for most Chicagoans to ignore the growing number of unsheltered people on the city's streets. WTTW News reporter Heather Sharon joins us now with a look at whether voters will give the Chicago City Council new power to address the spiraling crisis next month when, uh, when they go to the polls. Uh, so give us a sense first, Heather, of the scope of the homeless problem. We mentioned the migrants, obviously complicating things. Absolutely. But for decades, advocates for the unhoused have been frustrated that the federal government refuses to update the way that they count unsheltered people. So if you ask the federal government, homelessness has not worsened significantly in Chicago with an average of 5,500 men, women, and children unsheltered on any given night. But if you ask the Chicago Coalition for the Homeless, that woefully undercounts the problem because it does not include people who live doubled up with friends or family. And the true scope of the crisis should include those people, which number more than 68,000 people in Chicago. So a huge discrepancy here. And what would the proposal known as Bring Chicago Home do? Remind us. Well, it, this is essentially an initiative by groups like the Chicago Coalition for the Homeless to take matters into their own hands, knowing that more federal money is not on the way and that the only way to do it is to raise the real estate transfer tax on properties that sell for more than a million dollars, while at the same time lowering the transfer tax for properties that sell for less of that amount. Now, that is estimated to generate about $100 million annually, which will allow the city to address the root causes of homelessness, like substance abuse, mental health conditions, and it will help people get directly into homes rather than waiting on sometimes months and years-long waiting lists. And so this is a ballot referenda that city council passed. Voters are going to go and have a chance to vote on this. What's at stake when they go to the polls? Well, it's going to be a big test of Mayor Brandon Johnson's 
political muscle. He endorsed this proposal. He pushed it through to the ballot from the city council. Whether he can get it through will really be a test of whether Chicago voters are willing to raise taxes on wealthy Chicagoans to start to rebuild that shredded social safety net that you talked about. All right, Heather Sharon, much more to come on this. Thanks very much. And please go read Heather's full story at WTTW.com slash firsthand. And while you're there, you can also check out these other stories. The CTA rail system has long been a shelter of last resort for people experiencing homelessness. But there hasn't always been a comprehensive plan to help them. CTA leaders cite COVID-19 with driving a spike in the number of people sheltering on trains as a reason to take action. It's part of a nationwide trend of transit systems focusing less on enforcement and more on outreach. In partnership with Block Club Chicago, Nick Blumberg tells us how the CTA is spending millions to help unsheltered Chicagoans and the many challenges the transit agency and its partners face. Doors closing. These outreach workers from the nonprofit Haymarket Center are one of four teams that travel the CTA red and blue lines offering services to people who are homeless. Good morning, good morning, Haymarket Center. You okay? So we have chips, we have boxes of Narcan. We have, we have pants. Ponchos, just in case. Gloves, fleece blankets, hats, snack packs, we have thermals, and then bottles of water. The teams are made up of multiple outreach workers from the Haymarket Center and the organization Thresholds. Two groups work a day shift, two groups are on the night shift. Some of the work is simply making conversation. Some of it is meeting basic needs like clothes and food. But um, it's much more than that. Well, we can help you get into a shelter, and it's a tough thing. But sometimes we're successful, okay, in, in an overburdened shelter system. We can help you get on the path to independent housing. The outreach workers spend most of their time on trains and in stations with colleagues at the ready to help people as quickly as possible. If there's somebody that we encounter on the train, our team who's, who's in the van can sort of roll up to the next station, pick that person up and provide them transportation to a shelter, to a hospital, to our substance use treatment facility, um, to the social security office, to the state ID office, um, to any of those different places. Those teams are part of a $2 million program created by the CTA and the city's Family and Support Services Department. It was first approved in November 2022 and renewed in November 2023 with an additional $2 million. These are our homeless brothers and sisters, right? And we have an obligation to assist them. And a number of people, a number of customers come to us and say, not just, hey, this is an issue and we need to address it, but what can I do? What can we do to help address this issue? According to the city's most recent estimate of its homeless population, nearly half of Chicagoans without shelter were using the CTA as a place to stay. It was clear that we had to take more steps to address the situation. Individuals sheltering on the CTA don't want to be sheltering there. They want to be sheltering in more permanent locations. At last count, the CTA says outreach workers have logged more than 5,000 encounters with passengers who are homeless. More than 120 people have been placed in a shelter and nearly 50 have gotten permanent housing. 
Those numbers represent hard-won relationships and trust built over time. It could be 50 visits. Sometimes it could be two or three visits. It just, it really depends. But you have to keep showing up. You've got to keep coming back. In reports obtained by WTTW News and Block Club Chicago, the outreach teams detail some of the challenges they face. As of last fall, the majority of encounters were with people who didn't want to engage much with workers. A major portion of service requests were for more basic needs like food and hygiene products, as well as case management and help enrolling in the shelter system. This kind of work doesn't have a typical day. The amount of the how broad our services are um, is really intended because we're there to respond to the need of the patients. Despite the obstacles, the reports also show the impact the program is having. One Haymarket team was able to reverse an overdose on the blue line. Another client, one of the nearly 50 or so at last count placed in stable or permanent housing, reconnected with his mother and learned harm reduction techniques because he uses heroin. People do better if you can find them safe housing faster, and then they can work on the other things of their life. It's easier to work on my mental health and my substance abuse challenges if I got a roof over my head. But that points to a huge problem beyond the control of the CTA, Haymarket, or thresholds, Chicago's shortage of shelter space and affordable housing. The National Low-Income Housing Coalition says there are only enough affordable and available units for about a third of extremely low-income renter households in the Chicago area. It's sad, to be honest with you. Ali Simmons is with the Chicago Coalition for the Homeless, which sets the city's number of people experiencing homelessness at more than 68,000. That's a mix of people living on the street, in shelters, or doubled up in someone else's home. There's no reason why this many people should you know, be experiencing homelessness. There's no reason why, you know, it should have taken this long to address this situation. And it's only getting worse. Simmons' organization is backing the ballot measure known as Bring Chicago Home. It calls for raising the real estate transfer tax on properties selling for more than a million dollars, creating a dedicated funding stream to tackle homelessness. We're going through the same thing each and every year. You know, budgets are thin, not enough money, you know, to do this, not enough money to do that. And oftentimes, you know, homelessness is overlooked for other things. In the meantime, Simmons and other advocates say agencies like CTA moving away from enforcement toward outreach is the right approach. It's part of a nationwide trend among transit agencies that are facing down a societal problem largely outside their traditional expertise or control. You can't solve this problem just by using enforcement. Is that you do need to have that social services, that support there, that outreach. Previous CTA outreach programs weren't this extensive or consistent. While the program is currently authorized only through the end of the year, McCone says the agency is committed to $2 million annually with hopes of expanding and helping more people into a permanent home. You can't just, you know, do something for a year and expect it to have a lasting impact on a system. And so there, and there's been a lot of support for that. How are you doing? Would you like a snack or anything? With the program authorized through the end of 2024, outreach teams will be out on the red and blue lines doing what they can as advocates push to create more stable, permanent places that people sheltering on the CTA can eventually call home. So there's going to always be more people to work with, but the key is housing those people in front of you and having easy-to-access housing at different levels. The harvest is plenty, <laughs> the laborers are few, 
So we need resources out there. And joining us now are WTDW News investigative reporter Nick Blungberg and from Block Club Chicago investigative reporter Rachel Hinton. You guys worked on this story together. So, Rachel, you mentioned in the piece that CTA isn't focusing as much on enforcement as it once did. So what does that look like in practice? Yeah, so a move away from enforcement now means that instead of someone being ticketed or arrested for being homeless on the train and using it for shelter, um, now they, the CTA is focusing on enforcing its code of conduct, which includes prohibiting people from riding continuously. But when law enforcement are called in to potentially talk to or try to remove the person from the train, they're connected to outreach services rather than being arrested or ticketed or something of that sort. Nick, uh, what are the agency's overall goals here? Well, they have a lot of metrics that they provided us. CTA is looking at, you know, how many people are sheltering on the system. That number comes from the annual point-in-time count of homelessness. How many people are getting placed in a shelter or in permanent housing? More broadly, just the overall number of encounters between outreach workers and folks sheltering on the system. You know, feedback from CTA customers, we heard that's clearly a concern for the agency. Uh, but they noted that this is the first full winter of the pilot program. So right now their main focus is on the overall engagement, making sure teams are out there doing this work regularly. They didn't have set numbers they could provide for those different categories of metrics yet. They said the ultimate goal, though, is going to be continuous improvement across all those different categories. All right, right at the beginning of this policy here, Nick Blumberg and Rachel Hinton, very well done. Thanks very much. Thank you. And I'm next, two local organizations on the front lines working with those facing homelessness. Homelessness has risen to record levels in the United States, as we've mentioned. That includes Chicago and across Illinois. And while the federal government estimates roughly 12,000 people in Illinois experienced homelessness on an average night last year, homeless advocates say the numbers are much greater. This has Chicago voters prepared to decide on whether to increase taxes on sales of high-end homes and commercial properties to help fund homeless prevention, as Heather just reported. And joining us with their thoughts on what works and what doesn't in reducing homelessness are Carol Sharp, president and CEO of the Knight Ministry, and Doug Fraser, executive director of the Chicago Help Initiative. Both are nonprofits serving the homeless. We thank you both uh, for being here. So we should get into uh, this sort of discrepancy again. So the Chicago Coalition for the Homeless puts the number at 68,000, as we've mentioned. Why, why does the, the census put the numbers so much lower? Well, you know, it's a, it's a great question. You know, I think that um, we know that the individuals who are being impacted by homelessness uh, disproportionately affects people of color. Um, we know that it's oftentimes difficult for us to, to really get an accurate census, given that this, it's an unstable situation. And so uh, we rely on organizations like the coalition to really support us in, in getting those accurate and, numbers. And, and certainly I've interviewed a lot of folks that, uh, that say in their neighborhoods there's lots of couch surfing or folks staying at their friends or at their relatives, and, uh, and that sort of is factored into the Chicago Coalition. Now, Doug Fraser, uh, we're hearing now more of a kind of housing-first approach, putting more folks into subsidized housing, whether or not they have mental health or substance issues, is that, is that the right way to go? Absolutely. And uh, if we look at probably two of the cities in the United States that do it best, Salt Lake City and Columbus, Ohio, they emphasize that. They emphasize two things. One, housing first, getting people inside and then addressing the paperwork and the other issues. And second, a personal approach to getting to know these guys, much like Night Ministry does, going out, connecting with them, knowing if they're ready to go into housing and then making a good fit that is more successful then we are using an algorithm and a set of standards that go into a computer. The personal touch matters. Going back to your earlier question, there's something else here, which is that 
the city of Chicago measures homelessness with HMIS, which is a computer system that maintains a base of about 12,000 people who are listed as homeless by the city. HUD has a different number, and to Carol's point, the coalition has a different number. Depends on how you define it. So obviously a discrepancy in the numbers, but the coalition is pretty strong on that you have to include the folks that are you know, holding up with, with relatives or friends or, or things like that. So would the Bring Chicago Home Ordinance, if voters were to pass that, would this really put a dent in the problem? Would it get people into subsidized housing? Absolutely. And so, you know, we talked about that earlier number over 68,000 people impacted by uh, homelessness. We know that uh, disproportionately not only people of color, but there are 20,000 CPS students who are also impacted by homelessness. And so um, this sort of small step toward us being able to really tax, using that transfer tax as an option to ensure that um, those who are, are purchasing homes that are over a million dollars are then able to um, contribute to building a budget around solving homelessness issues is vitally important in order for us to help those individuals. Doug Fraser, are you confident that if this does pass, that the money's going to go where it needs to go that this program will be administered the right way. I, uh, so first, I think the program is essential, but I think we have to pay attention to it and make sure that it is. Uh, that is, Chicago has a history of trying to build its way out of this in terms of bricks and mortar and creating units. There is a subset of people who, for, that, for whom that is essential. There is a much larger portion that there are other approaches that are more cost efficient. Here's a simple example. All Chicago, who is strongly behind this, has an emergency fund. They spent $35 million in 2022. They helped 7,000 people stay out of homelessness. If we go to the current models, take $35 million and just build units at, at South by, invest South, what was it called? South invest South Southwest, Southwest, where the average price of a, a unit was over $500,000, you're only going to get 70 units. And I'm not arguing against units. You've got to have them for some people. But there's a whole lot of other people that can be helped by investing in their families, in their communities, by prevention as opposed to triage after they end up. So on the subsidizing street. the housing that they're already in right now. Uh, Carol Sharp, we mentioned 35,000 migrants uh, give or take more possibly to come. How has that exacerbated Chicago's homeless situation? Well, I mean, we, we only have limited resources to support the homeless, our homeless neighbors who are, are experiencing housing insecurity right now. And so um, we've seen an increase in the need to be able to deliver both medical health services as well as provide survival resources to individuals who are experiencing homelessness. There are also gaps in, in language barriers and our ability to understand how we can better um, support individuals with unique, um, you know, health challenges that they might be facing. And so um, it's certainly impacting our resources and we need a plan. Doug Fraser, what yeah. about the migrants? So there's a couple things that matter here. One is there is displacement going on. It's just a fact. For example, we serve a meal at 721 North LaSalle. That's the Catholic Charities Building. We used to serve 120 to 150 homeless a night. Now we're serving 60 to 70 homeless and as many as 200 to 250 migrants. That means that those homeless that used to come to that meal and access those resources can't get it. The second important important point to realize is that they are already in the shelter system that serves Chicagoans. So there are migrants in that system, and that's a good thing. We don't turn, no one should be turned away when they're in need, but it also displaces Chicagoans, and it's one of the reasons why you may be seeing more people in encampments than out on the street. We already have a deficit of shelter beds. We've lost 40% of our beds in the last decade. And at this point, with the extra population coming in, it's even more of a burden. Uh, Carol, uh, Sharp, very quickly, uh, w one more reason why there might be more folks in campus. O'Hare no longer can house homeless. Homeless were staying at O'Hare. The city 
stop that. Uh, do you agree with that, that the, that the city put an end to that? You know, I think that we need access to as many resources as possible. And so if we are going to stop um, individuals from using the, the, the airport as a housing opportunity, we need to create an alternate option. Doug, what do you think? I think it was pointless and cruel to put them out. They ended up on the CTA, and that's not the way to do it. I want to add one other point of what could be done now to address that. If you look at the migrant housing stream, there were something over 14,500 units created, and there are only 12,000-some units being used right now. That means there's a lag in the system. And if we're, going to play, if we're going to value each person equally, then we need to be moving homeless who want to come inside into those beds in that stream as well. So the, the city's going to bring these together, but they're talking about doing that in the spring. No. Do it now and get these people inside. So administering this is going to be a, a huge challenge. Uh, yeah. Whether, uh, Assuming this ordinance passes, we'll see what happens in March. My thanks to Carol Sharp and Doug Fraser. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And for much of the Chicago area's homeless population, home is a cot in a room shared with strangers. Cook County is trying to change that. It recently funded two hotels that offer longer-term apartment-style living, providing professional support, privacy, and stability. In partnership with students at Northwestern University's Medill School of Journalism, we explore what this response means for Cook County. Here's Medill professor Ava Thompson-Greenwell. As you get older, you get worse and worse and worse. 62-year-old Maurice Butler has spent about 20 years living on the street. You know, my body is tired, my mind is tired. When he was recently diagnosed with terminal kidney and prostate cancer, he says he knew he needed to find a more permanent and private place to stay. It'd make a great difference in my life. You know, sleeping on a bus stop, you got to sleep with one eye open, or a park bench with one eye open, one, you know, one closed. Here, you can close your eyes and... You can let your body rest, you can take a shower, you can, you can feel good about yourself. At Evanston's Margarita Inn, which is interim housing run by the nonprofit organization Connections for the Homeless, Butler was offered a temporary home. Saying we have got to get these vulnerable populations out. Butler's time at the Margarita Inn is a complete 180 from his previous shelter experiences. This place is, is nothing, nothing like that. They're not putting you out at 5 o'clock every morning. I mean, 5 o'clock on a Sunday morning, where are you going? There ain't no church open. You can't go to church on 5 o'clock in the morning, so you got to walk the streets. The Margarita Inn is one of two hotels bought by Cook County funding. The cost? Nearly $14 million. A move Nia Tavalaris from Connections for the Homeless says is working. It's showing that it's much more impactful. So prior to the pandemic in that congregate setting, about 40% of the folks that we worked with would exit into um, a stable housing situation. Here at the Margarita, 70% of the folks that have ever come through here exit into a stable housing position. The hotels were originally used as temporary solutions during the COVID pandemic. Housing advocates say they are turning out to be significantly more effective than a traditional shelter approach. Now families can stay intact and again really focus the, their efforts on you know moving again to that next destination. The Wright Inn in Oak Park is the second hotel purchased with county funds. The nonprofit Housing Forward runs it. We're providing them with that stabilization that they need. There's the psychological safety of being able to shut your door and have a level of privacy. Both former hotels feature semi-private rooms three meals a day, 
and support services prioritizing privacy and independence. That's our main goal. Like we just want a financial stability for our kids and a good environment for them to grow up and not have to worry about anything basically. Access to these features at the right end helped Janelle McField's family when her partner lost his job. With three children and another on the way, she says being able to have their own space was crucial. I've heard about shelters, and especially with younger kids, it's very hard. And so here you can have a bit of a peace of mind, a bit of a peace of somewhat home. These services include on-site medical care, access to a life skills coordinator, and caseworkers helping to lower the barriers to permanent housing. Latricia Freeman is a life skills coordinator at the Margarita Inn. For the life skill coordinator first to come in and say, first of all, you're welcome, you matter, and this does not have to be your end. Cook County used American Rescue Plan funds for both projects. Sleeping in church basements is better than being on the street. However, this is not, um, nobody would choose that is if they had other choices. And so we're trying to be sure that people have a more traditional housing. Um, despite the fact that they're struggling financially. The service coordinators from both organizations say they expect this holistic approach to lead to more long-term success. You can sleep peacefully, you can have a peace of mind. For WTTW News and Northwestern's Medill School of Journalism, I'm Ava Thompson Greenwell. At a celebration last week, the county said that a no-interest forgivable loan from Cook County was the foundation for securing financing for the Margarita Inn's purchase by Connections for the Homeless. And the Evanston City Council issued a special use permit for ongoing use of the Margarita Inn as a shelter. That's our show for this Monday night. Remember, you can watch first-hand documentaries detailing personal stories of unhoused people, as well as discussions looking more deeply into the issue. That's at WTTW.com slash firsthand. And join us tomorrow night at 5.30 and 10. And now for all of us here at WTTW News, I'm Paris Schutz. Thank you for watching. Have a great evening. Closed captioning is made possible by Robert A. Clifford and Clifford Law Offices, a Chicago personal injury and wrongful death firm that supports free educational initiatives in the legal profession.